Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're joining us. This is our third installment in the series that we've entitled Define the Relationship because in our culture today, we've defined uh, relationships, uh, especially romantic relationships in all kinds of different ways. And we want to make sure that everybody always understands here at Centerpoint, the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We want you to hear what the Bible has to say about relationships. So if you've missed the first couple of weeks, we talked about singleness and dating. And last week we talked about marriage. And this week we're talking about sex and romance. And that's why I brought Debbie, my wife along. Okay. Um, so go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So I told her I wasn't going to do this one with him and somehow I'm up here again. So. Yeah. And the good news <laughs> is I think your parents are here today too. Oh yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing awkward about any of this. Okay. So, but <laughs> what's important though, for us to understand why it's so important to reiterate what the Bible says, and you'll see that in the outline you received when you came in today, or if you're joining us online, you'll, you'll see that there. But um, what's important about this, there was a story that C.S. Lewis wrote years ago. It was a fictional story where a man was visited by an angel and he said when the angel, in the story, the man said when the angel appeared to him, it seemed like the angel was crooked, like he was standing crooked. But the longer he talked to the angel, he said the more he began to realize the angel was standing straight up, the whole world was crooked. And that's pretty much, that is always stuck in my mind because I think that's the way we look at sexuality. Our world would say the Bible is completely wrong. If you're committed to one man or one woman for a lifetime and sex only in marriage, <laughs> that is so old fashioned, that is so out of date. If you're not agreeing with anybody's lifestyle, whatever it is, then you're bigoted and wrong. I mean, we live in a world like this and that the Bible is completely out of touch. Well, I would tell you that if people think the Bible's crooked or wrong, I would really Today, I think after you listen to this, you'll be pretty convinced that, no, the Bible's true. Our world is what's going crooked. So we're going to pray about this. And Deb, why don't you pray for us and ask God to bless us? Because it's important to remind ourselves, well, what does the Bible say about sex and romance? They're terribly important. And the Bible has lots to say about it, a whole lot. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this, this day, a day that we have set aside to come and worship you. And so, Father, we worship you because you are worthy, and we praise you because you are perfect and good and holy. And, Father, we're grateful that your word is uh, clear in um, telling us everything we need to know about living a life that pleases you. So, Holy Spirit, come and work in our hearts today. Um, encourage us where we need encouragement. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Teach us what you want us to learn. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing when we talk about the definition of how the Bible defines sex and romance, I want to clear up a misunderstanding, and I want to make sure we all understand the Bible defines sex and romance as good things. Sex and romance are good things, according to the Bible. If that's good news to you today, would you say amen? Amen. You know, it's happened both services. All the men said amen, and all the women went, where's this going? What's going on? I mean, right? <laughs> Just keep going. Okay, there we go. All right. So where do I get the idea it's a good thing? Well, Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, being fruitful and multiplying, Adam and Eve multiplied the same way we multiply, sexually. And then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And God said, that's very good. 
So the Bible says that people like us who are created as sexual beings with romantic and sexual desires, that's very good. And that's important to me. I better read the next verse. Good, please do. Okay. Next verse is a little bit about romance. It says, um, the Song of Solomon, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me. You know, that's um, the point A was that sex and romance are both good things. And romance is a real thing. And it's funny, a lot of people, you ask them what romance is, they have no way of, they can't describe it. It's just something that, that doesn't make sense to them. But um, we're going to help you out here because the definition, we actually looked it up, the definition of romance is a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with being in love. I think that's really awesome. If you don't know what romance is, if you're a guy in here and you don't know what romance is, <laughs> pursue that be a student of your wife mm. talk to her about it ask her what um, make gives her butterflies ask her those things that you might not understand and uh, because it's both of it it takes both of them to make a healthy marriage yeah and I mean one of the things you'll hear as we go through this the, that these two are interrelated and there's a whole book in the Bible Sol Song of Solomon that talks about sex and romance and it's all intertwined um, because that's the way it works in real life. And you'll see that when we don't work on both of those things, our marriages can be in real trouble. Um, they're both important. So the Bible defines sex and romance as good things. It's the first point we make. The second point we make is the Bible clearly defines three good reasons that God created us this way, as sexual beings with romantic and sexual desires. Three good reasons. I'll let you take reason number one. Point one, God wants us to experience marital oneness. Matthew 19 says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this, is, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And I think it's um, such an interesting thing to think about how the king of the world, the universe, the creator of the world, um, God himself came up with the idea of sex. He invented sex. He's the one that um, made it possible for us to have sex. And so it's all of his idea. And it was, he did that not only to make us one physically, but emotionally. Um, it's, a, it's an experience that binds you together. And this is why it's meant only for marriage. It binds you together um, with your spouse in such a deep way that nothing else does. Yeah, now think about how different this is from a culture where many people say we live in a hookup culture. Hook up with somebody different every night. I mean, sex is just about pleasure. It's just an activity. And the more skilled you are at it, the more you wanna have lots and lots and lots of lovers. Not oneness, manyness. And whoever sleeps with the most people by the end of your life, you're the best at it. You win. Yet the Bible says that's completely wrong. And we can understand why. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist for this. I mean, if we have oneness and we're committed to each other in love, then I don't have to worry about comparison. I don't have to worry that if we have a fight or the money's tight or you know, we're just not able to work through a problem right now that she's going to run off and have a fling with somebody else. And now I'm compared whether my 
lovemaking skills are up to speed with whoever she was with last night or vice versa. I mean, that's a terrible thing. And this is why we're supposed to protect each other in marriage and to say, hey, I'm going to stay committed to you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health till the day I die. This is about oneness. And where you are, and some of you know exactly what we're talking about because you've been betrayed in this area before. And it crushes you to think about that. And it's a wonderful gift when God gives us someone we can be one with. This is where the warning comes in. And I see you raising that mic, so you want to say something? I'll let you jump in a minute. But the warning comes in, adultery destroys oneness. Playing the field destroys oneness. That's why this is one of the Ten Commandments. You must not commit adultery. I mean, adultery is consensual sex between two adults who one of them's married and they're having sex with somebody they're not married to. Could be people married to others and cheating on them, both of them are, or just one of them. But that's what adultery is. And there, there are now whole websites devoted to enabling this. That's where we are. That's sin and it's wrong. And Jesus wanted to even went further. He said, look, you've heard that commandment. The commandment says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus said, let me take it a step further. When you love a woman and you're committed to her, God's design for marriage is that you become one, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. My thoughts are be, supposed to be for you because you are my woman and I am your man. And those are, those are, that's where our, our thoughts should you be. You are my man. Preach it. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you guys, this is so important. And you understand then how destructive pornography can be if, if I'm looking at thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of images of women of all, uh, usually much younger and stuff, they don't age. My wife will. And if I'm comparing her, that's devastating. This is sin and it's wrong. And the Bible says that's why. Because God wants you to have oneness where you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And even if the bills aren't paid and the dog got out and the house needs repair and the kids, we've got problems, they're all sick. I don't have to worry that I have to perform for you in the bedroom tonight or you're going to leave. Oh, please hear this. I mean, we've been married for a long time and this is why this matters so much. God is giving us this as protection. Our home is a safe place. And that's why it's the act of sex is so much more than just a physical act. It's an emotional union. And we don't want anyone or anything interfering with that. And as we grow older and our relationship grows older, we mature in so many ways. Um, we are connected um, in so many ways. And that's what that oneness is about. I, I love that. So... God wants us to experience marital oneness. Secondly, God wants us to experience sexual pleasure and romantic delight. I mean, listen to Proverbs 5. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. I mean, that's the sexual pleasure. Listen to romantic delight. Like an apple tree among the trees in the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and in his fruit, his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. And this is a woman delighting that her husband takes her out for dinner, and takes her jacket, opens the door for her, and lets everybody know when they go in the banquet hall, this is my bride. 
I delight in her, honor her. I mean, this is romance. And this is a good thing. And when we have oneness and there's protection on this, this is what God wants us to experience, delight and pleasure and safety and security. Hooking up with people you don't know is not that. That's not it. And our culture would define that as the way you win. And that's why we're saying the Bible's right. The whole world is off kilter. God's ways are so much better. Um, but I will tell you, there is a warning here. Um, harshness and quarreling destroy romance. Um, Colossians says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Proverbs 27, a quarrelsome wife is as an annoying as a constant drip on a rainy day. There's a word picture right there, okay? But, you know, whether you pick that one or the harshness, imagine again if my wife is desiring the banquet hall experience, his banner over me is love, but what she gets is harshness and anger and unresolved conflict and we're quarreling. Well, you can understand then if the romance isn't there, then the sex life gets destroyed because who wants to be intimate with somebody you can't stand? Or if the wife is nagging and 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 nagging. I mean, that's just not wow, very you, fun either. You went all the way down that road. Well, huh? that's okay. what <laughs> nagging is. It's just repetitive. So anyway, um, I wish that we had added busyness to that list as well. Because busyness can destroy uh, yeah. um, romance and your sex life. If you're too busy, you don't have time for each other. Yeah, instead of going to the banquet hall in love, we're picking up some of the drive-through. I mean, when's the time to date? When's the time to write a love note? When's the time to go out and tell somebody, hey, you look beautiful tonight? I mean, all those things are things God wants us to have, but we have to make time for them, and we have to protect ourselves on this. So, three good reasons again. God wants us to experience marital oneness. Two, he wants us to experience sexual pleasure and romantic delight. Thirdly, God wants us to be fruitful, multiply, and give him godly children. Remember, be fruitful and multiply. It's very good. God wants that. Would you read Psalm 127.3? Yes. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. That is so true. Our children have been such a blessing. You know, scripture only refers to children as a blessing, not a negative thing. And unfortunately, our, our culture is sort of getting to the place where, where children are seen as um, a burden. And that's not at all what scripture says. And that's in our lives, we've experienced a great joy and pleasure from children and grandchildren. And so they're a blessing. Although they're not easy. And so it's understandable that people say, man, it looks like a lot of work. It is, but it's a rewarding work. The other thing I want you to hear is this. We read this first last week, but I want to read it again. It doesn't get enough play. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? It's exactly what you're talking about here. In body and spirit, you are his, referring to the Lord. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. This is, I want to remind us again that this is one of the important reasons God made us sexual beings is so we can reproduce. That's where babies come from. And God wants us to reproduce. 
He wants us to raise godly children, and, by, and an aside on that that's related to this is he wants us to tell them about these reasons. And so if you have teenagers, in other words, appropriate, and if they're not here with us or other things, we need to talk to our kids about this. I mean, we did this as a team. You shoved me in the door, closed the door, and said, go talk to them, right? Remember? Well, we do have boys. I kind of felt like that was your job, and I did listen through the door, so... <laughs> yeah. I was sort of involved. Yeah. I prayed for you. Oh, so funny. It's time to talk about this with the boys. Get in there. Okay. Okay. But it is so important that we do. We talk to the next generation so that they're not getting all the wrong ideas. Hey, I mean, just hook up with people. As long as you have wear protection, you're fine. I mean, think about the messages we hear. There is no protection for your heart. No. God's way is always best. And that's why we go to point C. The Bible defines marriage, and we did a whole message on this last week. We did a whole message on singleness and dating before that. If you haven't, didn't see those, please get online but at centeringlives.com. But the Bible defines marriage, the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. Again, that's the defini definition we used last week. As the only environment God created for husbands and wives to give full expression to their sexual and romantic desires. Now look, you can go to the back side of this and on question three and the connect group questions, it'll discuss, there's a whole list of different ways people use sexuality that the Bible forbids. I mean, everything from fornication to prostitution, adultery, incest, lust, homosexuality, on. And there's all kinds of scriptural references here. And there are lots of ways that people can misuse sex, and we know that. I mean, we live in a culture that embraces many of those things now. But the Bible says, no, this is to be protected within marriage. Would you read that Hebrews verse, please? Hebrews 13, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And he does. I mean, in another translation, that was Eugene Peterson's kind of amplified translation, the message. In another translation, it says, protect the marriage. It tells us to protect the marriage bed. The marriage bed should be undefiled. Our bedroom needs to be a safe place. No comparison. Protection. I love you. You love me. We're going to grow old together here. And we're going to stay together no matter what. Oh, this matters. That I can trust you and you can trust me. This is what God wants for us. And then we can work through the hard times. We can let our hair down. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to perform you going to share what your father told you before you got married? I'm sorry, what? You going to share what your father told you before you got married? Sure, let's bring that up right now. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> my dad was my best man at our wedding. And so we're backstage, uh, you know, before we walk out on, into the um, church, we're getting married. And uh, so I turned to my dad. I said, Dad, do you have any advice for the honeymoon? He goes, yeah, you better have a sense of humor. And that was it. And I go, what? And he goes, look, hardly ever do things turn out exactly like you planned. You better have a sense of humor. That's all I'm going to say. Well, for that to work. You have to have a safe place. We have to have a safe place. Here's a warning. Our sinful fallen culture now views pleasure as the main, if not the only reason for sex and romance and rejects nearly any limitations placed on the pursuit of sexual pleasure. I'm telling you, this is where we are. 
The Bible's restrictions are old and outdated. Can't believe you can believe that. Any restrictions of any kind. Of all the three reasons about oneness and having children and pleasure, we focus only on pleasure. Only pleasure. Whatever brings you pleasure, get as much of that as you can. And if anybody tells you that you should limit pleasure in any way, they're wrong. They're bigoted, blindsided, out of touch. And the Bible says nonsense. We go to the Lord, and the Lord shows us how this works. And it's important that we trust him on this. It's also important here to understand that when we talk about this, this there's a description in Romans chapter 1 about where our culture is right now. You want to read that? They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Yeah, and so this is where we are. In a minute, you'll see here, God wants us to be proclaiming his love and his truth so people can repent, and we need to do it with grace. But we have to understand that we live in a culture that's going a different way. It's also important to understand that our adversary, the devil, will do everything he can to tempt us to have sex outside of marriage and not to have sex inside of marriage as God designed it. I mean, I hope you're picking up on that. If there's any other way to use it, he would love to tell us, do that, so that you'll miss out on oneness and you'll miss out on all the closeness that brings, so you'll miss out on having godly children, all that stuff. Only pursue pleasure, and even then, it'll come with guilt and shame and comparison and all that stuff. So listen to what Paul said about that. He said, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. So you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again, listen to this, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So again, if we have unresolved conflict, now we don't have a great sex life. Well, now I, I want to look, now I'm tempted to look toward pornography or toward an adulterous relationship or whatever else it might be. And so isn't this amazing? We have an adversary, the devil. He wants to keep us from having sex inside of marriage. And he wants to encourage us to have sex outside of marriage. And we have to understand this is playing out all around us all the time. And he never relents because if he can destroy marriages, he can get at our kids. He can destroy our whole culture if he brings down enough marriages. Does this make sense to everyone? I mean, this is where we are as a culture. This isn't where we're headed. This is where we are. Now, I say all that. I don't want to end on a on a, that heavy of a note, I want to give us lots of encouragement here. And would you read the last point? Yes, this is our hope. The Bible clearly defines three ways that Christians should live in a culture that embraces many sexual sins. And the first point is we must let the Holy Spirit control our minds. We must let the Holy Spirit control our minds. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but, leading, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Um, I love this verse because it reminds me that if I pursue the Holy Spirit, 
then he changes me. Um, he gives me all the things that I want in life, that love and joy and peace and patience, all the good things that we desire come from him. And it's important that we remember that this is, as you look at this, um, these scriptures, if you, if you look at the list on the, um, at the back, this is not legalism. This is not saying, okay, all the things, let me just add to the list of all the things I can't do if I'm a Christian. That's not this at all. This is a loving relationship with a heavenly father who knows what's best for us and wants to bless us. And when we do things outside of his will, it interferes with our relationship with him. And we invite all kinds of pain, um, all kinds of pain in our life. Yeah. And so whenever we think, with, let the Holy Spirit control our minds, remember the Holy Spirit is our source of power. He gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases the Lord. I mean, you say, well, John, you got this high and lofty understanding of marriage, this high and lofty understanding of sex. I can never attain to that. With the power of the Holy Spirit, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, yes, we can. If that's good news to you today, would you say amen? amen. John, the Holy Spirit also changes the way we think. If we meditate on him, he will take our thoughts and conform them to his thoughts. Oh, yeah. And that brings us to the next point here. You and I must courageously, because we live in a culture that embraces sexual sin, we must courageously proclaim the truth of God's word and call people to repentance. There was a fellow that walked out of the earlier service today, and he grabbed me on the sidewalk outside, and he said, everything you talked about, adultery, pornography, all that stuff, that's what brought down my marriage. He said, I came here today. I, he said, and we've been talking. I mean, he has repented. He said, warn people. It's all true. Don't soften it. People need to hear that this is all a lie. He thought it would make him happier. It ruined his marriage. This is why we're talking about this today. When Paul told Timothy this, he said, look, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time's favorable or not. Patiently correct and rebuke. Encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. Again, this is where we are now. And so I know, again, that what we're saying today, many people in our culture would reject. The Bible warns us, this is going to come. But we need to proclaim the truth so people can be set free. John. And, this, and this matters. We need to teach repentance. I hope also to be able to introduce you to a person I mean, a person who was here at the first service too. The first time I met him a couple of years ago, he came here dressed as a woman and he came dressed as himself today. And he said, I've been set free from transgenderism. Jesus set me free and I want you to know. And I tell you that, and he said, you cannot be strong enough about this. I was in the devil's clutches. He was binding me with sin and he was destroying me. I found freedom through Jesus. As a pastor, as parents of kids ourselves, please hear this. The desire to live according to God's word is not so we can have some legalistic standard that's impossible to live up to. This is adhering to God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit, asking him to guide us, surrounding each other in love, helping each other here, restoring each other when we fail. 
but embracing the good news that I don't have to follow the devil's lead. I don't have to live a life that's empty and painful and filled with guilt and shame. I can be free. Jesus forgives me if I come to him, no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, and he'll give me the power to live a new life. This is why we're talking about this. Our culture is wrong. Our culture will tell you the Bible's crooked. The Bible's not crooked. The culture is. Sorry, I got a little preachy there. Okay. But I do want to say one thing. Second Corinthians 7, godly sorrow leads to repentance. And that's the kind of sorrow that we want. If you are caught in sin, then write to Jesus. Repent. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You will experience the freedom and the joy that you desire in your life. But you have to repent. You have to turn around. You have to go another way. A third way that we can live in our culture, we must compassionately show Christ's love, forgiveness, and mercy to those who are caught up in sexual sin or have been deeply wounded by sexual sin. Because we've given ourselves over to this in our culture for years now, there are many people who are wounded. And if you're here today and you've been deeply wounded, you may have been abused in this area. You may have been in an abusive relationship. You might be in one right now. You may feel like I've been trashed I feel dirty and unclean. You might be trapped. I know guys who are trapped in pornography. It's an addiction they can't get out. All those things could happen. I want you to know that you've come to the right place. Through the power of Jesus, you'll find love and forgiveness and restoration. Where are your accusers? This is John 8, 10. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus was talking to a woman who had been brought to him in the very act of adultery. We can only assume she was probably half naked, maybe fully naked. She was brought to him as a test case. His enemies just wanted to trap him. They were legalists. And the Old Testament law said she deserved to be stoned, and Jesus said, very well. If you want to obey that, then let the person here who's without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, they all left. Now let me read it again. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And Jesus walked that tightrope that we need to walk. Our culture says, Jesus forgives you. Keep sinning. God will forgive you. Just keep sinning. Keep sinning. That's what grace is all about. Mm -mm. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I mean, when we repent and come to Jesus, to repent means to turn around. I don't want to live this way anymore. To come to Jesus doesn't mean, hey, I want to get free grace so I can sin more and more and more. It means I'm tired of living in an empty shell of a life. I need your forgiveness and your restoration, your power, Lord, so I can live life the way you want me to. Jude, verses 22 and 23. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution. And listen to this, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. You will find all kinds of websites that say, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we must hate the sin and love the sinner. But I've shown you two places where that's very clear is what it says. We love sinners. We want to restore people who've been wounded. By the way, this connect card, if you are struggling with an addiction to pornography, all you got to do is say, I want to talk, you can, or you can take my email off this outline. 
I, want, I need help. Would you help me? And you don't have to say why. Just let me know. There, we've got race, great resources for you here. If you need help because you've been sexually abused and you need to talk to somebody, call us. We'll, we'll help you get in touch with people who can really help you. You don't have to struggle and carry through this on your own. And if you just need somebody to pray with, man, use this Connect card. We would love to talk with you and pray with you and encourage you. Any final thoughts you want to throw in there? No. <laughs> well, then I want us to pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here, that Debbie and I can be here today. Lord, we are ordinary people like everybody else here, and we want to do your will, and we've had to work through all kinds of conflicts, and Lord, we know how that's really messed with our romance and with our intimacy. And Father, we've needed your grace and forgiveness, and we've needed to be filled with grace and forgiveness for each other. And God, I just pray that everybody will hear that. Lord, I thank you that your word tells us to repent, not because you're angry and want to destroy us, but because you're loving and you want to save us. Our culture looks at the Bible as crooked and wrong, but your word is true. Our whole world is crooked and wrong. On this subject, Lord, we're just off by a million miles. I pray, Lord, you spoke to us today, that you've spoken to us. And Lord, if we need help, if there's someone here who needs help, Lord, I pray that they'll reach out and get it. If there's someone here who needs to know your grace and forgiveness, I pray that they'll talk to us. God, I love it that you were merciful to a woman caught in adultery. I pray that we will always show mercy to people. I pray that no one will leave here condemning people who are struggling with sexual sin. Lord, I just pray that we will show people love and be careful ourselves not to fall into it. Would you pray right now for somebody who has either been deeply wounded or is deep into some sort of sexual sin right now? Pray for them by name, just silently where you are. Pray for them. And if you're saying, man, I wish they could have heard that, but they weren't here. Would you pray right now for that person and ask God to speak to them? Oh God, would you please help them? God, would you bring someone into their life to let them know there's hope in Jesus? They don't have to be bound with sin and shame. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We just pray, Lord, you'd fill us up and that you'd take away, that you'd, we just surrender all our temptations to you and that you'd fill us, instead of with temptation, Lord, you'd fill us with love and joy and peace and self-control. Father, you give us joy and a desire to follow you, a desire to seek you above all else. We surrender our relationships to you. We surrender our sexuality to you. We surrender our lives to you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.